0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. Um, if you missed the five, you got in a little bit late because it's usually the kids' fault. I get it. Um, and so you, didn't, you missed that. Um, I'm taking a trip and leading this trip to Israel uh, this coming March. I would love for you guys to go uh, with Micah and myself. It's going to be an incredible trip where we you know, walk where Jesus walked. We're going to see the the, the tomb where they believe Jesus uh, was buried. We're going to uh, be around the Sea of Galilee and Bethlehem, um, uh, all kinds of places where Jesus was and taught. And so, um, if you've not thought about it, I want you to think about it this week. I'd love for you to come. Uh, this coming uh, Monday is week from tomorrow. Um, the price jumps way up. And so if you've considered it or, or maybe you haven't, I'd love for you to go uh, make that decision this week and let us know. You can visit foothillschurch.com slash Israel and uh, we will uh, get you going. It's gonna be a great opportunity. And then as Greg just mentioned, Love Does starts next Sunday. So I'm excited just to share missionally what we've done as a church this year and what we hope to do uh, this coming year in 2015. Um, If you don't know anything about Fiddles Church or you're just kind of new, what you see on Sunday morning is just a fraction of who we are. And so um, what we, uh, our, our passion, what our heart is, um, is, is all about is to be involved in our community in several different ways, uh, making a difference, um, allowing our love uh, just to impact the love of those around us, not just in our city, but around the world. And so you'll hear about our partners in, in Haiti. Uh, you'll hear about our partners here locally. And I'm excited to, to share that information with you guys and, and uh, help you guys get connected to what God is doing in our, in our church, in our city. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to John chapter. Four, and um, we are in a series entitled "The Gospel of John," and and so each week we're we're working our way through this book. And so, if you're new, uh, we're glad that you're here. We're going to pick up on a story um, about a Samaritan woman that Jesus encounters. And uh, before we actually read, I want to ask you a question. Uh, So. Maybe not a question you think about often, but uh, it's typically what we like to do when we open up God's word is is challenge each other with these things. And so my question for you is, is what does God want you to do with your story? What does God want you to do with your story? You know, that's an important question for us to answer um, because if we're not thinking about it, then, then we're probably not doing anything with it. I mean, when you think about what you could do with this story, you could, you could like um, keep it a secret. In other words, not tell anybody about it, um, which we know, you know, read the Bible for any length of time and you'll quickly discover that that's not what God wants. Uh, we could be embarrassed by our story. Oh man, I've got too much sin or I've got this or that and so I don't really feel like I should share it. Uh, we could actually um, be afraid of it I'm afraid to share because then they'll know I'm a Christian or maybe I don't know how to share. I don't know what to say. And, and so we have all those issues. But at the end of the day, like if we are just reading the Bible and asking the question, what does God want us to do with our story? Then the answer must be that he wants and desires us to share this story. Now, when I say story, what do I mean? Well, Real quick, uh, your story is how God saved you, how God is growing you, and how you are living for God today. So how God saved you, how God is growing you, and, and how you are living for God today. That's your story, and that's what I want us to think about. This is your journey of, of, of what God has done in your life, what he's doing, and, and, and how you're living uh, for him today. And so that's what I want us to wrap our minds around today, that journey, that story, and what God wants to do what he can do with that story. Now, a lot of times people say, well, I would share my story, but I don't have a very great story. My story's not very good. So, what happens in the church world is a lot of times we think that the great stories are the stories where people get up and talk about how much sin they did, how many jail cells and prisons they went to before God saved them miraculously, and then um, Jesus, you know, loves me. And and we think, oh, that was just such a great story. He just shared, and it was just so amazing. God's power in his life. It's amazing, you know? And granted, if we've lived a life filled with sin like that and, and God has saved us, an immeasurable uh, amount of grace is, is required uh, in that situation. And absolutely, uh, we want to share that story and hear that story and celebrate that story. But what I'm sick and tired of hearing is you guys who were saved at a young age who tell me that your story is boring. Somewhere in the Bible, Jesus says that's bull malarkey, all right? That's not true. Everyone who has been changed by, some of you are saying, did he just say malarkey? So every story that has been changed by Jesus is worth telling. Some of you think, ah, it's just not worth telling. It's not very interesting. It's not very, you know. Listen, you tell worthless, pointless stories every day of your life. Every day you get on Facebook and tell me what little Johnny ate for lunch that day is a worthless story to me. That's why I don't get on Facebook. I'm tired of hearing who ate squash today and you know what you had for breakfast and what you're doing this afternoon. I, you know, it's pointless. It's worthless. It's a, it's a waste of our time. So, so don't tell me you don't have much to say because you say stuff that isn't much to say all the time. The point is, if that happens to be your story, like you came to faith at a young age and so you didn't go to jail and you weren't a drug dealer, um, you know, for very long, and then uh, God saved you, you pretend like that's not a very powerful story, but listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. What takes more of God's grace and what's more amazing? The fact that somebody grows up and, you know, lives all of this craziness, what we would call a party scene, and then gets saved, or somebody who has been saved from all of those poor decisions and by the grace of God been protected from all of those harmful things in their life. You see, I tend to think that the guy that didn't go through all of that has experienced more of God's grace, which means you should be sharing that story and you should be praising God even more so than anyone else if, that were, you, know, if you could even do that. So that, my, my point is that you have a story worth telling. And so as we think about this today, I want us to grasp that concept. And at the end of the day, if you know Jesus, you have a great story. You see, what we don't want to do when we share our story is we don't want to, you know, idolize or put, you know, put our sin up on this platform and just talk more about sin. You've heard you know, people give testimonies where they talk about their sinful past for 30 minutes and then you know, talk about Jesus for two minutes and then an invitation. Everybody's crying because you know, it was so emotional and people make decisions. And it's like, wait a minute, we didn't really hear the gospel there. So Jesus is the hero of your story. If he's not the hero of your story, then you need to go back to the office and rewrite your story and figure it out a little bit more. We got to dive into it a little bit more because he is the one that makes our story great. And if you have Jesus today, you have a great story and it needs to be told. It is worth telling. Now, what we like to do is we like to play God and we like to tell God what he can and can't do. You do it all the time. God can not use my story or I'm not very good, so God's not going to do that. So, like, we know the future more than God. And so, you know, we, we just think that we're so smart and we just think that we're God sometimes. And, and we pretend like we know what He can and cannot do. But what I hope to do today is, is shake the dust off of that story and help you to formulate it a little bit more and, and, and energize you and, and, and challenge you to share that story, uh, not only today, tomorrow, but for the rest of your life. So, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to chapter 4, verse 27. And we pick up on the end of this story. We talked about it last week. If you missed last week, you can always go online and watch the videos of the sermon. And and so what we learn is this woman was from Samaria. Jesus is talking to her about living water, about salvation. Uh, The the subject changes to um, worship. And so Jesus is sharing all these important, powerful truths. And then the disciples show up and she leaves. Let's pick up in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. Now let's just pause there for a minute. So Jesus is having this conversation with this woman. The disciples show up. Um, They don't ask any questions. Uh, When they uh, return, she leaves her water jar and she just leaves. And so uh, immediately when when she leaves, the, the disciples are marveling. In other words, they're like curious, Why in the world is Jesus talking to this woman? Now, why is that even an issue? Well, uh, it's an issue because at this time, rabbis didn't speak to women. Most Jewish men didn't speak to women they didn't know in public ever, uh, especially Jewish rabbis. And so uh, not only that, but this woman is from Samaria. So last week we talked about the prejudice between Jewish uh, people and the Samaritans. And so all of this stuff is playing. And so the disciples are blown away that Jesus is talking to a woman. Now, does that mean that, um, you know, Jesus is disrespectful of women, or, or Jesus, you know, the, the, the disciples are disrespectful towards women. And I would say the exact opposite. What Jesus teaches us is, and what we see in the life of Jesus, is that he always, always, always respects women. You look through the course of his entire life in every single gospel, we see his life displayed and we see him um, um, he, uplifting women, encouraging women, um, he is respectful of women always uh, throughout his life, and and we should model that as well. God created male and female in his image, and, and we each have equal value, equal worth, equal dignity, and God has given us a different role to play in the world. Sin enters the world, and when sin enters the world, Genesis 3 explains that that sin causes men and women to fight and struggle with those roles, with those functions in life. The Bible says that for a woman, her struggle is going to be to desire to be the domineering uh, uh, one in the family or in the relationship. And for the man, his struggle is going to either be passively sitting by or he's going to be overbearing. And so the struggle between male and female is a result of sin. But regardless of what we deal with, what we see here is that Jesus wants us to understand how to function in those roles Uplifting each other, um, uh, holding each other in high esteem, uh, being uh, uh, self-sacrificing, submitting to one another, and allowing God's purposes to be revealed uh, through our uh, relationships together. And so Jesus always, always respects women. Now, when you see the gospel take root in a people, in a culture, then you will see the treatment of women and children increase you will see women placed with a high value in their life. So if you go to countries and cultures where the gospel is, has not been taught, you will see women not only disrespected, but taken advantage of, children taken advantage of. And all throughout history, you'll see, and I say taken root, because as the gospel takes root and people rally around the gospel and around God's teaching, um, then you will see that take place. Like This is a part of what what, uh, the gospel does when we accept it and live by the following and teaching of Jesus. So she leaves, um, the disciples come back. But she doesn't just leave and we never hear from her again. She leaves and she goes back to town and she says, you guys got to come and see this dude who told me everything that I ever did. Could this guy be the Christ? That's her response. She shares her story. She goes back to town. Um, she, she talks about meeting this guy by the name of Jesus. She speaks to the people about what he talked about and and then we later find out here in verse 39 what actually happened. So let's take a look, and we'll jump down to verse 39, and we'll, we'll catch back up um, and, and go back to verse 31 in a second. But it says this, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, her story. He told me that, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word." They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So here's what's happening with this woman's story. She is going back to town. She's saying, You've got to find out and, and, and hear about this guy that I just met. People believe that he's the, Jesus, he's the Christ. People believe in him. And then there are other people that say, you know what, I want to go and hear a little bit more about him. So there's another group of people that leave town and go to speak directly with Jesus. Some people believe at that point. Then they're saying, hey, Jesus, stay with us for a couple of days. And as he continues to teach, even more people are coming to faith in Christ. All because this woman took it upon herself to go back and to share her story. Now here's my question again. What can God do with your story? What does he want to do with your story? Here's a couple of things that I want you to think through today. Number one, he could change someone's life through your story. And I believe that's what God wants to do. He wants to change other people's lives through your story. Now, again, your initial response might be, well, I'm not really ready to share that. Well, I've got so much going on. Well, I'm not really good at communicating. Listen, listen, listen. People are counting on you. This entire city is counting on this woman. They didn't know they were were counting on her, but in fact that they were. Someone's life could be changed as a result of you taking the time to build a relationship with someone and to share how God has saved you, what God is doing in your life. And how you're living for him today. Now this is huge. I mean just those simple things. I didn't say you had to be perfect to share. I didn't say that your marriage has to be problem free to share. Because then nobody would be sharing right. It's like he wants us to share how he saved us. What he's doing in our life. How we're living for him. Everybody in this room who has faith in Jesus Christ has a story worth telling. He wants to change somebody's life. Through your story. And secondly, I believe that He wants to change history through your story. I mean, the history of the Samaritan people is forever changed at this point because now racial boundaries have been crossed, prejudices have been broken down. Jesus is saying that salvation is not just for the Jews, it's not just for, you know, Samaritans, it's for everyone. And he's proclaiming this gospel right here, right then. History is being transformed. She goes back and shares this with her people, with her, the people that probably were looking down upon her. Remember, she was a social outcast because she had, she had gone through five husbands. She was living with a guy at this point who wasn't her husband. And now God is using her story to change history in that city. Now I believe God wants to do the same thing through you. I believe he wants to do the same thing through our church, through your story, how God has used you, how God has transformed you. I believe God could change someone's life. He could change history. If you don't get anything else, get this today. When I join God's story, I get a story, okay? Let's just stop right there because if you don't know Christ today, then, then you don't have a story, okay? You're still living in sin, you're still living a hopeless, defeated life. But when I join God's story, then then I get a story. And then when I share that story, God uses that to create new stories. Does that make sense? Like I, 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 I join God's story, I get a story. I share that story, God creates new stories. So as I share it and as I allow Jesus to be the hero of it, Other people will hear that story. And and here's one of two things. This is what's happening. This is the pattern that we see in this story, and it's the pattern that God still uses to this very day. When I share my story with somebody, here's an example of what might happen. They might hear what God is doing. They might understand the same things that I went through. And then they, at the end of that, when I say, would you like to receive Christ? Would you like to follow him? They, in fact, will say, you know what? Some people will say, yep, I want to receive Christ. I want to follow him. I need that in my life. I know I need that. And boom, life transformed. Or they'll say, you know what? That's an interesting story. I, can, I, I kind of relate to some of that story, but, but I need to know more. And just like some of the Samaritans, they said, take, take me to see this guy. And so they wanted to go see Jesus. And so they, they leave town and they go out to where he is at Jacob's well. And some of your friends are going to hear you share your story. And they're going to say, yeah, okay, 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 okay but I need to find out a little bit more about you know, what it means and what it looks like. I've got some more questions and you're gonna say, hey, that's cool, come to my small group. Hey, come to church this Sunday. We'll, you know, you're gonna hear different things. And, and so they're gonna be in God's presence here on Sunday mornings in your small groups. They'll develop relationships with other Christians. They're gonna be in, in an experience where the Holy Spirit is here and moving and, and God's gonna speak to them supernaturally and, and eventually they're gonna come to know Christ. Okay? So this is the pattern. One of those two ways, this is what God is seeking and doing and wants to do through your story. When I join God's story, I get a story. And when I share that story, God creates new stories. Now, we look at this poor woman and we think, God chose the wrong woman he chose the wrong person, you know, because she was sinful, man. She was living with a dude, and she had a lot of failed marriages. I mean, God can't use somebody who has a failed marriage, Trent. I mean, seriously, that can't happen, right? God can't use somebody who's lived in a, in a moral lifestyle, Trent. I mean, he just can't. He's just not going to do that. You've got you know, you to be you know, really, really good before God can, can use you. And, and see, that's where we fail, because God uses the right woman And he sends her to the right people to share a story about the right Savior. And see, everything changes for them. We might not have chosen her because we don't get it. God can use you. God can use my story. He can use your story. And and there is nobody so far gone today that God can't save them. You know, not only is, is, is he using somebody who's struggling with sin here, but he's also taking the story to a people who weren't even really, you know, Israelites. They weren't really Jewish people. They were like these pagan people, right? They, they, they didn't get it, but here God is saying, no, it, the gospel is for them as well. And so to a people who nobody, nobody ever expected to receive a Jewish Messiah. Remember, they hated the Jews, Right? And so now they are saying yes to a Jewish Messiah. See, God does things that that you don't think of. And He uses people that you don't think He would use. And He can certainly use your story no matter how many failed marriages, no matter how many failures in your life, no matter what you're struggling with today. God wants and can use your story. Don't sell Him short. Somebody's counting on you. There's one thing that's important, though, in this process, and that's this do people trust your story? Do people trust your story? In other words, if you were to say, this is how God um, saved me, would they see evidence in your life that God has saved you? Would they see evidence in your life that you in fact are following and and, and serving a God and and, and that there is something different about you? I mean, I think that's where we get a lot of confusion because on one level, some of you are so hard on yourselves that you don't think you're good enough to share your story. And then there's a whole nother group of people who, you know, you're not really truly living for God. You're just kind of playing a religious lifestyle here. And so if you were ever to share something like this, nobody would believe you because your life hasn't given evidence that anything has happened spiritually in your life. So the point for you is to repent and turn from sin and and, and stop playing around with your creator and get serious about the fact that people are dying and going to hell that you have a story worth telling, people are counting on you, God wants to use your story to change someone's life and quite possibly an entire city. See, you have to realize that there's a bigger story taking place here. This life is not about me, it's not about you, there's a bigger story and it's God's story and it's how he is redeeming mankind and, and he's invited us to play a part in this story. But, but if nobody's gonna trust your story, then you've got bigger problems like God's discipline in your life needs to take effect today. Some of you are thinking, I don't have much of a testimony, but just think about it this way. If you're that person that says I don't have much of a testimony, then think of it like this. What would your life be like without the Lord in your life? Oh man, if he wasn't in my life, then then my marriage, then 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 work, then my kids, and then just like me, you know, I remember my mom and dad and what they went through just imagine what your life would be without him and how different things would be and then your story just explodes. Some of you think I've got too many problems in my life to really talk about what Jesus is doing and, and to that I would say just think of how you would be handling those problems if Jesus wasn't in your life. I mean, that's the story in and of itself. I've got so many problems. I don't even know how to share. Talk about how you, know, those, how you would be handling those problems differently if Jesus wasn't in your life, you know? Have you ever been going through something difficult and people are looking at you crazy? Like, how can you be getting through this, man? It seems like if I was in your shoes, I'd be going nuts. And then you can say, well, it's because of Jesus. Because when I go through a problem, I know there's a bigger plan, there's a bigger story. God has a plan for me. He has a purpose for me. And it's just not some random you know, occurrence of events in my life. No, God's got, he's doing something here and I don't quite understand him. However, I know that he's in charge and he's my savior and I'm going to serve him and love him through this. Now that's a story that'll preach. That's a story that'll have an impact on someone's life. Some of us don't think that we have the story, and I, here, 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 here's what I would say. Also, some of you don't think you know enough to really have a story. So, first off, I would say, well, who's stopping you from knowing more stuff? Okay, that's my first question, and then my second question is, how much did this woman really know? She had one conversation with Jesus. I mean, they could have, they could have asked her a hundred different questions that she would have been like, I don't know, I don't know. but she doesn't worry about the questions that are coming her way. She knows what Jesus has told her. And that's the part that she focuses on. That's the part that she champions. That's the part that she uh, shares with them. And so this is what God uses in her life and in the life of these people. Now, when you begin to share your story, when you begin to start sharing these things, the, this, the, the thing that we realize is, is that we don't know a lot. <laughs> Let's just embrace that. The older I get, the, the more I learn about the Bible, the more I understand about theology and Jesus, the more I realize I don't know very much. And that's okay. Because if I knew everything about God, then he wouldn't be that awesome. You know, if I, if I knew all the answers to everything, then it, it, it wouldn't, there would not be any mystery in the gospel as, as the Bible teaches us. So obviously his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, as as the scripture teaches us. So so we understand that, but we share what we do know as we continue to seek and pursue him in the things that we are, in fact, learning. And so this is is what has taken place. Now let's jump back up to verse 31 and kind of see what is happening in the middle here. As the disciples show up, she leaves. And so meanwhile, verse 31, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. you ever read the Bible and just scratch your head and say, what in the world? What does that mean? You know, I have food, like he's got a pack of M&Ms and he's slipping them in, not letting anybody see them. (laughs) Why are you like, I don't get that, like. Some of you guys um, still have Halloween candy at home, don't you? Your kids are hiding candy. I was in my daughter's room um, this week, and I'm just trying to pick up and clean up some of the stuff and help her and and, uh, open up a drawer, and there was, like, candy. And I'm like, "Uh, why are we hiding candy? You've got to ask before you eat candy, blah, 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 to realize that it was not candy from Halloween. (laughs) It was candy from last Christmas, okay? So we've got issues going on in our house. They have... They have food to eat that I do not know about. And so it's like I can relate to the disciples here. Verse 33. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus has got to be tired of the dumb questions, you know? Remember Nicodemus? You've got to be born again, Nicodemus. Oh, how will I enter into my mother's womb to be born again? It's like that's dumb. That's just dumb. Is somebody feeding him we don't know about? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So what Jesus is saying here is that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So food gives us energy, it gives us life, it gives us sustenance, You know, it gives us you know, the, the ability to do the things in life that, that we've got to do. We've got to have food. And Jesus is saying here that I get my energy, I get my life from doing the will of God. Now that's a pretty powerful thought. Some of you are spiritually kind of empty today. You're spiritually kind of not growing. You're spiritually kind of here, but not here. And one of the reasons why you're kind of floating spiritually and not really growing and you're just kind of stagnant is because you're not doing the things that God has called you to do. You're not in fact following the will of God. As a matter of fact, some of you might be living in in blatant disobedience. And of course, If following God's will gives us spiritual food, gives us energy and growth, then then the opposite is going to be true as well. If we're not doing the will of God, then it's going to to hinder your growth. It's going to be like spiritual malnutrition and, and starvation spiritually for you if you're not doing the things that God has asked you to do. Now for Jesus, the will of God for him is to do his work, ultimately, which is to provide salvation for mankind. Pretty big job, pretty big deal. Now, what is God's will for you? Well, it's to do a lot of things, I think, as we read the Bible. But I think the specific implication here is has everything to do with sowing and harvesting and sharing our story, and making disciples, and being evangelistic, and leading people to Jesus. All of that is encompassed in this. He says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? In other words, do you guys say that in four months the harvest is going to come? But, but here's the reality. From Jacob's well, they could see the city of Samaria. So, and, and so as they can see the city, guess who Jesus sees coming his way? he sees Miss Samaritan woman coming his way and behind him other people from the town that are walking towards him. And as he sees them walking towards him, he says, four months then comes the harvest. Here's what I say. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the, harvest, that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. In other words, he, you, can't you imagine him pointing to the people that are walking towards him? He's saying, look, the fields are ripe for harvest. Already the sower and the reaper are are gathering together. In other words, Jesus was sowing truth in her life as he's sharing with her about salvation and living water and worship and all of those things. And now he's getting ready to reap the benefits of of that sowing in in that sense. And so here they come ready and willing to receive him. And Jesus says, "You you guys think it's in four months? It's today, it's right now. And so for me, there's gotta be a sense of urgency in my church. There's gotta be a sense of urgency in my own life. And so when I, when I see people in need, when I see others around me who I don't know go to church, who I don't know know Jesus, then there's a sense of urgency within me that just kind of beats and says, I wanna get to know them. I wanna build a relationship with them. And at the end of the day, I wanna know if they know Jesus because they need to know him. And I want everybody in this room to just beat have that same heartbeat, have that same sense of urgency that Jesus has here, knowing that, that yes, here, here's a group of people that needed the gospel, that wanted to respond to the gospel, and they just needed somebody to tell them. Disciples went to the same town. Who'd they bring back? Nobody. Psh, disciples always getting it wrong. They got food. Jesus wanted them to go get food, so they got food. They didn't bring anybody back to Jesus. She did. You know, we talked last week about how Jesus is always, he, he doesn't allow the, the task to trump the relationship that's important. And so here the disciples, maybe they were, you know, they had a task to go into town, get some food and get out, get it back to Jesus. And so they didn't have time for, for relationships. They didn't have time to share, hey, there's, the, there's a guy named Jesus. He's the Messiah that's getting ready to change the whole stinking world. You guys should come out. They didn't bother to do that. Who, who knows why, but they didn't. But this woman did. She said very quickly, you've got to come and hear about this guy. You've got to come and meet this person that that told me everything that I ever did. And her story impacts not just one person, but an entire town, ultimately changing history. Sometimes for me, I get so caught up in the necessities of life that I don't have time for the priorities of life. And I think sometimes the disciples struggle with that. And, and when I look at the life of Jesus, I always see that necessities don't trump priorities in his life. And, and, he, and he always keeps um, a, 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 an unparalleled focus on the mission and will of God in his life. Most people think it, would, um, it, it was possible to see this city. And so as these men and women are walking towards Jesus, he is literally saying, Look, here comes the harvest We've reaped, we've, we, I've sown, and, and now I'm about to gather fruit for eternal life. And he says the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. Um, for here the, the saying holds true. Now listen to this, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. It's an interesting concept that we want to understand as well as a church and as a people We are entering into someone else's labor. Um, When you think about church history, for over 2,000 years, men and women have been sharing their story and how Jesus Christ has saved their life. For millennia now, we we understand God's story is being unveiled and being revealed to mankind. And, And so there is a bigger story here. It's God's story, and we are entering into someone else's labor. When you think about how our country was, was formed, we have men and women who are sacrificing uh, their health and everything that they have to bring the gospel to a foreign land. We are entering into their labor. We celebrated Uh, Veterans Day this week, and so um, I don't know about you, but for me, I've never been on the battlefield. I've never fought for freedom in that sense, Um, and so what I do when I remember veterans, when I remember our freedom is is I recognize that I've entered into someone else's um, labor. Someone else has labored uh, time and time again uh, throughout American history to provide my freedom today, and I want to recognize that. I want to recognize that the, the beginning of Foothills Church um, started with just 40 people. And so I'm, I'm, you and I are entering into that labor. Some of you didn't labor. You didn't sacrifice. You didn't make this a reality. But you've entered into their labor. And now it's you and I. It's our turn to continue that labor together. Because there's a bigger story. God wants to use you in this church. He wants to use you to continue this labor so that you're going to reap some of the benefits that you didn't work for and I'm reaping some of the benefits that I didn't really work for as a country as a church spiritually speaking and he says, look we, we want the sowers and the reapers are going to rejoice together here's what Jesus is saying you know for you and I like as we enter this labor together we're to be about the task that those that that, that came before us were about which is sharing the gospel which is making disciples. When I join God's story, I get a story. And when I share that story, God creates new stories. And your story is still being written. Photos Church's story is still being written. And as we share this story, we want to make the hero the hero, Jesus. We want to make sure that we, we share that our sin was fully and completely redeemed by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Paul explains it like this in First Timothy 1, 15 and 16. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. In other words, I was the worst. I used to you know, kill Christians. I used to you know, uh, persecute Christians. So, so Jesus came to save sinners. And by the way, I am the worst, he says, verse 16. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, as the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. Why? As an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul says that, that, that this salvation has, has taken place. God's love has, is made perfect in me. Why? Because I'm going to be an example to those who are going to believe. That God can save anybody in this room who confesses their sins, turns from their sins, and receives Jesus into their life. No matter what you've done no matter how many times you've messed up. Like, like salvation is here and available through Christ for anyone. And he says, this is my story. My story is, is an example. And, and his example would be, <laughs> you know what? I, I was the worst, man. Don't follow me, but, but here's what I will boast about. Here's what I will get excited about. Here's what, I, here's what I will get pumped up about. Like Jesus saved me and I can't get over it. I'm afraid some of you have gotten over it. You act as if you almost deserved it, or you act as if you weren't that bad to begin with. And so, for us, we want to be encouraged that no matter what our story is, no matter if you grew up in a Christian home and, and uh, you don't have the party life, but but you have the the life maybe of you, you know you weren't in physical prison, but you've been a prison in a prison of apathy. You've been in a prison of pride thinking you're better than everybody else, in need of grace just like the next guy. Maybe you grew up knowing all the answers, you know, as far as church and religion. And, and so, you know, whatever your story is, we put, we put Jesus and make sure he's the hero. Maybe you didn't grow up in a church home, um, a, a, you know, a Christian home. And so you're just figuring things out as you go, and you're just growing in this. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter at this point. The fact is that God has given you this story to share with other people. And no matter what your story is, we want to talk about how sin was ultimately paid for on the cross by Jesus. Others are counting on us to share this story and and the entire town knew that they needed this savior. And I just wonder who's counting on you? There are people in this world that I believe God wants you to share your faith with. The guy that you work with, one of your family members, if you're a student, The dude that sits next to you that annoys you every class. Maybe the the, the, the person at work that nobody hangs out with. Like God wants us to share our story. Maybe Maybe the longtime friend who knows everything about you except for your faith. Maybe the hardest person in the world for you to talk to about your faith. They're counting on you to share it. I don't know um, if this is something that you've um, been comfortable with or if it's something that you continue to be challenged with, but but here's the, the challenge that I want to give you today. If you've never written out your story, if you've never thought through your story, then I want to encourage you to go to foothillschurch.com slash my story. Really simple. If you forget it, just just go to our website and search story or my story and you'll find it. Um, but, but that packet will lead you through a few questions and a few key things that will help you write that story out. And if you'll write it out and you'll think through it, then at the appropriate time when God uh, brings somebody into your life, he'll give you the courage, he'll give you the boldness, and you'll share it right then and there. And then you will be blown away by how God can take a simple, prepared story of what God has done in your life and used it, to change people's lives. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to begin to pray that God would give you opportunities to share this story. You know, some of you are thinking, Trent, for the last few weeks, we've been talking like all this, telling people about Jesus and evangelism and blah, 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 blah. Can we go on to something else? I mean, if you wanted me to preach something else besides this book, <laughs> I guess we could. Everywhere you read this book, <laughs> every page is about proclaiming Jesus, so we can't get away from this. What does God want you to do with your story? I've asked the band to close us in a song today entitled The Church and how the church has a, has a. Uh, we understand this love from God that needs to hit the streets and, and and how you and I are called to to go and to do this and to be about this and to understand that, that we are the change that the world is waiting for because we know who Christ is. And so uh, I want to pray for us and then I'll ask them to come up and, and close us. This morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us each a story. If we know you as our Lord and Savior, we have a powerful story. Lord, I pray that you would enable us and give us the courage and the boldness to share this story, to be amazed by this story, to be in awe of this story. Lord, give us a sense of urgency to share this story and to proclaim your love and your grace God, may we be a church that is known, Lord, that we, we care for the brokenhearted. We care for the lost and the dying in this city and world. And, and we're gonna do everything that we can to proclaim the name of Jesus, to make Jesus the hero, to decrease ourselves and to uplift our Savior. Encourage us today. Give us opportunities to share this week. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.